Thompson. On today's show, we chat with Hamish Kemp about the importance of data and how it can maximise your business. Plus, Joel Goulding is here to give us some great investment advice and talk about the South Auckland market. Welcome to Property Matters. and welcome to Property Matters, our weekly show looking at all things investment, business and property. You can listen live each week at 4.15 on Planet FM 104.6 here in Auckland or download our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio each week. We are proudly sponsored by Barfoot & Thompson who celebrate their centennial this year. So we look forward to catching up with the directors soon about this huge milestone. Now we want the show to be very much a voice for you, our listeners. So if you have anything you would like us to discuss, please do not hesitate to contact us by emailing propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. Now we're absolutely delighted now to step a little bit outside our usual box, which we like to do from time to time. And we're catching up now with Hamish Kemp, whose title is Strategic Insights Director for Delft Company. What a cool title, Strategic Insights Director. Welcome to the show, Hamish. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here, and I'm going to get you to unpack that title first, because when I did my little Snoopy Googles on you, I quite like some of the descriptions around it. So tell us a little bit about your job. So basically what I do for a living is work with um, corporates and clients to use data to drive strategy in business. And that can be anything from the systems and the data itself, building that data up to a position where it is usable, managing those systems so that we have sort of effective flows of data and automation. And then off the back of that, identifying sort of opportunities that exist within any business's information and data that they can use to, you know, create more profit or better service their customer base or whatever it might be. So, yeah, so in the, in the, in the, a very brief sort of sense, it's, it's helping businesses to use data to make better decisions. That's cool. That's cool. That's a good description. And tell us a little bit about Delft before we sort of unpack it further. When, when did this get formed? So Delft was formed in 2017. Um, it sort of came together with a former colleague of mine who I'd worked with for a long time in a number of businesses who had seen the way it worked with data. Um, and he sort of appreciated what data could do to drive that decision-making process. And so working together for a number of years, he and I both thought, well, you know, this is something that's working really well with the businesses that we're involved with. How about we try and do this with those other businesses that don't have that resource, don't have the capacity to take someone on like myself full-time you know, and start driving that data, that data sort of directive within those um, corporations and, yeah. Cool. Were you a maths wizard at school? Like, when did this passion for data start? Um, I was I was always pretty good at maths, yes, but it probably didn't come through my sort of uh, maths expertise. I actually stumbled on data about fifteen years ago, working at a job um, in London for the Royal Bank of Scotland, and so that was my initial exposure to what an analyst and a data analyst needed to do. Um, but I quickly learned that if I wanted to be good at what I did, I needed to be able to write code that could process data. And so I went about um, undertaking formal courses on a few code writing languages, and that was sort of the genesis of where I started and to where I've come now. I had the technical qualifications to, to process data and then built the business practical experience to be able to, in order to be able to interpret that data and apply it to sort of real-world business scenarios. 
Okay. Do you think businesses realize how important data is? You know, do, do you have to do quite a bit of convincing first? Yeah. Look, I mean, business uh, data is becoming more and more important and more and more popular within businesses, but there are many businesses and industries which still don't use it as effective as they should. Um, and, it, and it takes it takes a champion on the inside to help you sort of implement a data strategy. If you don't have that champion on the inside of the business, it's very hard to push a data initiative through the business. So mm. you really need to work closely with someone on the inside who sort of really drives that initiative. Yeah. When we're saying data, and this might be too broad a question, but just thinking of our listeners hearing that, uh, can you unpack what sort of data you might be looking at inside a a typical business? Well, it really depends. I mean, every industry and business is different, right? But they all have data to some degree or another. Um, data works better with scale. So scale always helps because, you know, if you make a, make a 1% or 2% difference in a business and you've got scale, then that 1% or 2% difference can be a lot. You know, it's when you add up those 1% or 2% differences, you start to make real change. But it's just not for the big businesses. Like there, I mean, for example, property management is an industry which hasn't really used data to its full capacity um, to this point. That is starting to change. Um, I have worked in the industry for about four years, and you have seen some of that change um, in that period of time. But there are still many of those businesses which are really yet to utilize the data that they do have. Um, and that's, that's things like internal sort of metrics and things that represent performance within the property managers or even the retailer. But it's also the behaviours around um, property rentals. You know, what is the applicant doing? What are the metrics which mm. show different behaviours within those applications? Um, and you can use that to help sort of define and refine strategy, you know, about how you go about promoting certain properties or which properties are the ones that appeal to certain subsects of, the, of society. And so if you can if you can use that data and start to feel the pulse of the business through the data, you can start to identify these little trends. And it's those little trends that if you're first to that trend, that's when the opportunity and the financial benefit can kind of exist. Yeah, absolutely. If we can understand our customers and our clients better and get inside their heads before they've even thought it, that's got to be yeah. good for business. So talk about a typical sort of, I guess, project rollout for yourself, if you were coming into to a company and, and to start looking at their data, um, what does the journey look like for your company? Um, well, you normally start with a hypothesis, right? The hypothesis is the genesis of the idea, essentially. So if someone says to me, we believe that you know we're not spending our marketing dollars as effectively as we can, how do we go about changing our strategy so that we have more returns on that marketing dollar? And I, I've worked with clients where, you know, and particularly in, in um, the sort of the subscription and, and technical industries where you have a platform which customers engage with, you can quickly tell what kind of customers have a high value associated with them and what kind of customers don't. And if you know where those customers are coming from in a marketing sense, i.e. where are you uh, making contact with these customers, you can start to define a marketing strategy which says, Instead of spending a dollar over here and getting $2 back, we can spend a dollar over here and get $4 back. And so you start to define your strategy based around not just marketing, but marketing where your dollar is gaining the most return. So we first um, heard about Hamish through a company called MyRova, which, totally unrelated to this, is, is a really interesting um, pet 
app which keeps track of all the pets medical records you're able to buy things directly from the vet such as food treatments and medications you're able to share vaccination and medical records for example if you're going away overseas and popping your pet into a kennel or a cattery um, and a really cool app how would you work with a company like that to utilize the data to sort of help grow the business yeah, so from two sort of perspectives, really. One's a very much a practical operational perspective, working within my rover's sort of infrastructure so that their business and their service works effectively as far as passing information through to their their sort of their, their clientele, you know, the veterinaries they work with, um, and providing sort of the reporting information necessary to make those relationships work. Uh, they work very closely closely with a, a range of veterinarians over the country, and, and an important part of it is, you know, knowing what they're selling on behalf of certain vets and how to reconcile that information back to, you know, at the end of the day, a payment. So it serves a very much a practical perspective. Uh, but then you also work using that data to identify the opportunities, and that can be from the types of products people are purchasing, or the category of products that people are purchasing, or even the cycle in which people are purchasing. Right? Understanding you know, if someone is buying something on a certain cycle, when they need to kind of buy that, so you can intercept them the next time they're online looking at adverts that are getting thrown in front of them. You can get yourself in front of that client, that customer. So mm -hmm. strategies like that as well. You've now got me very suspect on my cocktail supplier who supplies those wonderful gift sets that seems to always time perfectly perfectly for when the bottle is of, of strawberry gins nearly run out so they're using their data correctly <laughs> what top tips would you give to to companies or, or businesses listening about how they can grow good viable data like what should they be doing to build that data source before they get someone like you in or is that part of your role uh, it's part of what we really do. I mean, it's quite hard for someone that don't, for a business that doesn't have someone of you know my capabilities and, and practical experience in the industry, to, to just start building up data because you got to know what it is you're looking for, and so you'll go in and you'll start to define the scope of what they need, the systems that are required to get it, um, and then how that data can be applied practically at the other end, i.e., in reporting and in the actual business strategies themselves. It's quite hard and overwhelming for a business just to start using data. So they often do need a bit of advice. Um, and, and again, it needs someone to really buy into the idea. You need that buy-in, otherwise it's not going to filter through the business. The business won't pick up and run with the idea. So that's, that's obviously key as well. So it normally requires a, a partnership between someone internal and someone external to really make it work. Hmm. You run into changes of regulations around privacy and things about how you use any of this data? Yeah, I mean, you've certainly got to be very careful when you're dealing with customer data. I mean, we obviously use the you know the, the best practice in order to secure data in itself. Um, Europe is leading the way as far as it comes to uh, internet data, so what you do on the internet and how you go about using it and what they can store um, of yours. That, no doubt, will be coming this way at some point in time. So, yeah, it's definitely a changing world, and there's a lot more, uh, more regulation around what you can and can't store. Um, but there are ways in which, you know, from a data perspective, you can still use rich customer data, but just anonymize it so that you're not mm. looking at someone's personal information. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the long-term plan or goals for your own company? How are you using your data um, to sort of grow your own business? Where would you like to be in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I, what I like to do personally is, it's a bit like building a fence. I like to go to a, 
a company and say, this is the opportunity, this is the strategy, and this is how we want to roll it out. So that's what I like seeing and that's what I like doing because you get to see the, the sort of the physical outcome of, of these strategies and you measure what, you know, what result of that strategy was. Um, so I want to continue doing that. I want to continue working with um, with customers and helping them define strategy and, and how they go about optimizing their businesses. That's what I get my most satisfaction out of. Um, and you know that that's not it's not industry specific. The way in which you deal with data is quite um, it's, it transposes from industry and industry quite easily. It's the same sort of approach. You're just dealing with different metrics and the different sort of business logic and things like that. So, yeah, so Delta is going to continue to grow in that sense. Strategy is a very important part of what we do. And, and often in the data industry, you, you get two sides of the coin. You get, you get people that are good with data, but not good with business, or people that are good with business and not good with data. And so what you really want to do is be the conduit between those two so that you can take you know take data in itself, the practical data, and turn it into so business decisions, business strategy, and sort of initiatives. Mm. I imagine you'll be in a business too that you, you're constantly needing to go back because your client's data is going to change the business is going to evolve so it's something that needs regular it's not like a, a one-stop shop get it fixed and move on you need to be constantly analyzing it yeah absolutely like you need to be a fairly agile in the data industry because systems are constantly changing technology is improving you know regulations are changing so you're, you're constantly uh, morphing the the data systems and strategies and stuff to suit whatever's going on within the industry in general and you know data as a, as a trend as well. Hamish, absolutely brilliant chatting to you today on Property Matters. How can people get in touch with you and your company, or if they want to find out anything more about what you've talked about today? Yeah, sure. They can email me at hamish at delft.co or go to delft.co um, the website to get in contact. Brilliant. All the best for a very successful rest of your year. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Next up on Property Matters, I'm delighted to be joined by the fabulous Joel Goulding, who is Business Development Manager for Barfoot & Thompson's Papatoe branch. Welcome to the show, Joel. Thanks a lot, Stephen. It's an absolute honour and privilege to, to be here with you today. Well, the honour's all mine because I've been tracking you in this industry for many years. Our, our um, we, paths first crossed many years ago on a training course, and I've always been fascinated by your work. For our listeners' sake, can you unpack, first of all, what is a business development manager? What's your role? Yeah, look, I guess in a nutshell um, is to, to drive growth um, and performance um, in a nutshell um, to, to, to generate uh, new business, to prospect, um, to be able to extract property management data from the market um, and, and offer uh, our services as Barfoot and Thompson to, to the wider community. Now, it's interesting you say extract property market data um, from the industry because our first guest on tonight's show was an expert all around using data to maximise your business potential. So I'm going to throw it right at you at the start of the show, Joel. How are you using data then to maximise your business potential? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the data's all around. Um, one of the, the main bits of, of kind of technology that I find most successful is the live market under TradeMe. You know, there's a lot of data there that can be used. Uh, a lot of the time, property management um, or, or vendors are uh, not necessarily happy with the level of service that they're receiving with their property manager. And sometimes they feel it's a little bit too hard to have those conversations. Mm. Um, 
So kind of presenting ourselves uh, in that space has definitely helped me um, grow the business over the last kind of few months um, and especially over the last kind of six or so years. So take us back. When did this all start for you? When did that first sort of light bulb moment when I want to get involved in the crazy world of real estate? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't. I don't ever wake up and want to be a real, real estate agent. I always kind of wanted to work with the police and the dogs, and I'd always kind of had that on my heart. Um, more kind of community focused. I'd found myself working in customer service. I started out working at McDonald's when I was at Dilworth School. Just after school, money was quite tight as a, as a young kid, so I really kind of grasped the idea of working quite young. So I'd finish school and go down to Newmarket 277 and I'd work at McDonald's there, um, just on the tills, counters, burgers, all of that kind of stuff. And it, it slowly progressed into the likes of cafe work. Uh, I was then a flight attendant for Qantas. Um, and then from Qantas, I moved into, into real estate. But it was more or less the, you know, sometimes there's a lot of things in life that we can't control and things all happen for a reason. And my nan and pop, my adopted grandparents, my nan and pop, they were selling their, their house in Mount Wellington um, at the time. And, and an agent um, and their PA was selling uh, on behalf of, of my nan and pop. And we'd kind of connected. And, and one day I was flying um, from Auckland to Melbourne and um, Ange popped up on board. She was a PA for the agent that uh, sold Nana Pop's house at the time. I looked down the cabin and I was kind of like, man, I, I know you, but I can't really mm -hmm. remember where I know you from. So they got to the meal service. I was like, hey, you know, would you like a, you know, chicken, fish or beef or a fruit salad and some eggs and sausages, <laughs> you know? And um, she's like, I was like, where do I know you from? She's like, Joel, we sold Nana Pop's house. I was like, oh my gosh, Ange, how are you, you know? So that was kind of the start of, of the inkling of, of thinking about getting into real estate. And then after kind of two and a half years of flying on board, I'd met Anne during that time and taken her over to Melbourne. We just kept in contact and it was in the back of my mind. It was never really something prominent, but I messaged her and just said, hey, you know, like I've, I've really done my time at Qantas. So, you know, I've done recruitment and training, um, worked throughout New Zealand and Australia. And it was just time for me to step up into the next, you know, phase into my career. And I said, yeah, how do I, how do I get into it? And she put me in contact with a director in South Auckland. And, and that's where, where the journey started for me. What is it that you love so much about this property management and, and new business space within it? I think for me, it's really simple. It just comes down to the people. You know, I really believe that people are the way that kind of make the world work. Um, and it just, you know, we've got a we've got a, a massive kind of um, job to do to make sure that we service our landlords correctly, because the I mean, the industry is unregulated, as you know, Stephen. So it, it almost kind of puts it as a mission in my heart just to make sure that people are getting the right service. Mm. Uh, you know, as I said at the start, a lot of the time out there, people are, uh, uh, are not happy with their current property manager, but they don't really know how to kind of break that relationship or it's almost in the too hard basket yeah. you know and raising those kind of conversations but at least just giving them an opportunity um and it really kind of comes down to you know the 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 connection that they have with either the property manager or the or the business development manager so mm. now look i know you work obviously for barfoot and thompson so you know that this might sound like a bit of an infomercial for them but i i'm curious still you know, from a business development point of view, you're sitting down with a landlord, you're talking to them um, about their biggest probably investment ever, yeah. a property. Um, why do you feel it's so important now more than ever that they have it professionally managed? 
Yeah, that's a, it's a really great question. It's it's first of all, you know, as I said before, it's it's unregulated. Um, and I mean, to put it real plain and simple, you know, my eyes have seen quite a lot in this industry, you know, and it almost kind of breaks my heart that the amount of stuff that kind of goes on that actually can be avoided, you know, so that that's probably one of the most important things to me is just being able to educate the, the client correctly um, and, and make sure that they're getting the best service. What sort of the, the tenant relationship? stuff I guess that perhaps a private landlord may struggle with that your company can just sort of take over and take that stress away when dealing with tenants yeah I mean that's a, a great question um the normal the, initially the the letting process is quite um quite tough you know being able to screen tenants being able to choose you know whether they take their shoes off at their door you know what are they wearing how are they presented how are they how are their manners you know all of that kind of stuff and you know, it's really important that, that we look after the tenants as well. Um, but more more or less the, the landlords, it's just, I like to present it in a way where, you know, you've got your accountant, I'm useless at maths, you know, and the last thing I want to be doing is, is end of year financials or GST and all of that kind of stuff. So I've got an accountant that deals with all of that kind of stuff. So too a lawyer, so too a mechanic and, mm. and so too. I invest I will have a property manager and I believe it allows me to spend more time doing the things that are actually important um, instead of having to do another job mm, absolutely um, we have guest after guest on the show that says you know do what you're good at how how expensive is your own time as a private landlord and bring the experts in whether that's the property manager the insurance company the mortgage broker use the experts what advice would you give a landlord think sort of taking the steps for the first time to move to a property manager what sort of questions should they be asking as they're picking up the phone and they're ringing three or four different companies what what would you get them to ask i think um, it's really important to to understand the structure of what you're actually aligning your property with you know, when you when you have your property become an investment for the first time, it quite, can be quite hard to eliminate or, or take away the emotional attachment, but actually understanding that it is a business. Um, the structure within our business and the structure within the businesses that clients do associate with is really, really important. How many properties does each property manager manage? Is there account support? Is there a business development manager? Is there a letting agent, you know? These are the kind of things that you need to be asking because, I mean, at Barfoot and Thompson, we really look for the quality over the quantity. We're not interested in, in loading up our property managers with a lot of work, so they end up missing things, you know. So mm. it's more or less, as I said before, you know, the connection that you can build with a property manager or a business development manager will really kind of help you uh, start the process. Uh, but I think the structure is, is most definitely probably the most important. You mentioned there, you know, they might be dealing with a business development manager or a property manager. At what point do you kind of hand that business over? I, you know, I've been dealing with you as a business development manager, but eventually it's going to be passed to a property manager. Is there, is there a key moment that that works? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for me, it never stops, you know, the, the, the kind of relationship that I build you know I've got clients that I talked to one yesterday that I talked to six years ago you know and he'd had his, his um 
his business with another agency and he's about he's been on the market since the 24th of November since last year still no results so I thought it was just good to give him a call and just reintroduce myself um, to him mm, okay um, if I'm filling out a property management authority form so giving permission for you to take over my investment are there any things I should be looking out for in that or is company to company pretty factory standard? Yeah, I mean, probably the likes of a termination. You can look at the terminations. Um, all contracts are, are, are quite standard, but you really want to break down where your money's going, you know, especially over the last couple of years. Um, we can really see the impact that a lot of the changes with the government have had on the industry. Um, the inability to deduct interest over that kind of four-year phase-out period. Um, so it, it's just really important to, to ask the right questions to get the right answers. Mm, okay. And yeah, seek that external advice if needed. Um, tell me now a little bit about where you're based. In Papatoe, you've you're in the heart of South Auckland. Is South Auckland still a really good place for an investment property? I believe South Auckland is the best place for a, for an investment property. Why is that? Uh, just the amount of growth within in the areas, um, widespread all the way through the eastern beaches. You know, Manukau is kind of the overarching suburb of, of South Auckland. Um, and as long as you can, you know, t treat your tenants with respect and, and have it managed professionally, you know, in time, you, you know, clients will find that it is definitely far easier um, especially with the costs that are associated um, with it, it's actually really not too expensive to hand it over to a professional and just say, look, you know, this is what we actually really want to, to have done. Is there a type of house out south that rents the best? You know, if I, I'm out on my Saturday open home looking, should I be looking at the three bedroom brick and tile or am I looking for the four bedroom with a garage or a pool or like what's renting today the quickest? Yeah, that's a great question. I've always kind of believed the fact that properties will only ever rent out on three things. And those three things are the price, it's the presentation, and it's the location. And normally, you know, I like to kind of put it in terms of when you're looking at buying a house, you're scrolling through Trade Me, and you see, you know, nice advertised photos, and you say, oh, yeah, I'll look at that location and, and think about investing there but the price might not be right. So that's one of the things that could actually trip up the, the tenant process is the price. Those three things, mm. price, presentation, and location, they need to be simultaneously working together at all times to get a successful result. And the truth of the matter is, Stephen, is that tenants will actually go two doors down or three or five streets away for yep. $10 or $20 less. So we've got to make sure that our properties are listed correctly, they're advertised correctly, the ads are engaging uh, that we as property managers and letting agents, we manage the inquiry correctly um, and we kind of look through for the, for the best people, for the vendors. So, yeah, it's mainly those three things. And, and I kind of look at the scale of, of rentals as, as like a do-up condition. You've got then tidy, you've then got modern or fully renovated. So the difference between kind of tidy and modern wouldn't be too much of a difference based on the suburbs and uh, the amount of bedrooms within a dwelling. You start to see a little bit more uh, on the renovated properties and ones with garages and gardens and all of that kind of stuff, though market rent is market rent. Mm. 
is there the ability if I'm an investor looking at purchasing it coming and meeting with someone like yourself and then you hooking me up with a salesperson as well to find that property like do you work as a team like that that's the one of the greatest things um, and as well as you know with tradesmen we, we get discounted rates because of the amount of business that we have but absolutely we you know I do a lot of work with our sales agents and, and we'll be doing more in the future as well looking through their portfolios and their databases as a whole and trying to extract property management data while building a pipeline for them you know are you looking at selling are you looking at buying within the next 12 months you're looking at investing you know what are the movements and then i can relate that back to the agent and then they can start to put in pipeline and communications with them it's it's really a great bolt on to to their business as a as a property management um, expert nice are there key things that are standing out out south as needed for example I remember years ago when I was a property manager, if it had a garage or if it was close to a specific school, I could guarantee that I could get top dollar for that. Is that, I mean, it used to be dishwashers, but I'm pretty sure they're pretty factory standard these days. Uh, are there still those key things that, you know, an investor should look at? Yeah, much, much the same. I think, you know, I think the town planning and, and all of that for, for Auckland is going towards the the no car parking um, and the no garaging, more of like a, a London kind of spec town. Okay. Um, so that will probably, I guess, roll out over the next few years or so um, as more and more developments get built. So yeah, you're exactly right, Stephen, and it's still true to this day. Garages are, are really something that people mm -hmm. pay for. They want that extra space. People have got stuff. They don't want to move in and move out each year. They want to really kind of have long-term rentals. And that's what we really, we, we try and close, uh, you know, gain as close to 52 weeks of rent per year. Garaging, fully fenced sections, something on, on a large section with a bit of land for the kids to play. Pets is always good as well. You know how I kind of, you know, educate my vendors on this is, you know, like let's let's open it as a case by case scenario. If the vendors are completely like, no, I don't want any animals, then that's completely that's fine. It's in our job to mold our services around our clients. So I'll always recommend, you know, keeping pets negotiable because if you've got you've got mum, dad, and a couple of kids and a family dog, that, that's quite normal, especially in New Zealand and mm -hmm. more especially out in uh, in South Auckland, you know. So being flexible like that may potentially give you the upper hand and it will create a, a longer-term tenancy, which is exactly what we want. Absolutely. Well, Joel, we've run out of time. How can people get in touch with you if they want to chat about their investment property in South Auckland? Yeah, the best best way is is via either phone call or email or you're more than happy to to give our office at Barfoot Papatoia call and just ask Regan for for Joel and she'll be able to put the call through definitely love to be able to educate look my job is to to try and give people as much information as possible for them to make an educated and safe decision and if that's with Barfoot and Thompson you know one of the most reputable and if not the leading real estate brand here in New Zealand it's definitely our privilege to be able to have those conversations with clients so thanks a lot for having me on today Stephen it's been a privilege to be able to share some experience with you um, and we'll catch up with you soon absolutely brilliant we'll look forward to chatting as the year goes on and as different things happen we might come back to you for some tips and tricks for our investors if you want to find out more about joel and the team head to barfoot.co.nz forward slash papatoe 
Well, as we come to the end of another show, it's always good to check in with what media stories have grabbed our attention, courtesy of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation. And one that did was two major banks cutting some of their longer-term home loan rates overnight, but shorter-term rates aren't shifting yet. ANZ has sliced between 15 and 55 basis points off its rates from 18 months to five years, but its six months and one-year rates will see no change. The bank's standard two-year rate has dropped 29 basis points to 7.05%, while its three-year rate fell 25 basis points to 7.19%. Meanwhile, BNZ made changes to its six-month, one-year and two-year mortgage rates. It has lifted its six-month and one-year classic home rates from 6.49% to 6.54% and cut its two-year rate from 6.59% to 6.49%. Its standard and flyby rates will increase from 7.09% to 7.14% for six-month and one-year rates and decrease from 7.19% to 7.09% with its two-year home loan rate. Check out the bank's website for more information. Kayanga Ora has purchased a $20 million block of northeast Hamilton homes to become public housing, with the first tenants moving in in just a matter of months. Kayanga Ora Homes and Communities is in the final stages of purchasing the new build at 45 Borman Road in Huntington, comprising 23 bedroom homes and seven two bedroom homes. Emerge Aotearoa, a housing and support services provider contracted by the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development, will manage and maintain the houses. Now, if you have something you would like to share with us, do get in touch by emailing propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. And remember, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or where all good podcasts are found to check out our past episodes. On the show next week, I'm really looking forward to chatting to Andrew Nicholl and Ed McKnight, authors of Wealth Plan. Now, Andrew and Ed are the faces of property investment business OPE's partners. Both the pair and the company have a commitment to educating Kiwis to become more successful with money and, in particular, through property. Andrew's been investing for almost 20 years and has grown a sizable investment portfolio of over 40 properties. He's personally been involved in over 100 real estate transactions, whether buying or selling. He is also a financial advisor. Ed's a trained economist and runs the numbers for the content that Oaks Group produces. So another person using that data like we talked about at the start of the show. Andrew started Oaks in 2013 and in its first nine years helped over 1,600 regular Kiwis buy investment properties to grow their wealth. We are really looking forward to chatting to these two next week. The book is called Wealth Plan, How to Invest in New Zealand Property and Retire on Real Estate. So check it out. That's all we have time for this week. We'll look forward to catching you next week. Remember to check us out at barfoot.co.nz forward slash property matters. Thanks to our team at Barfoot and Thompson for sponsoring the show, to Adam, our editor, and to you for listening in. Have a fabulous week. Go out and invest in some property, and we'll catch you next week on Property Matters.